Hello, everybody. Praise God. Uh, you know, this last week, the department heads of our church on both uh, Amhara congregation and English congregation, we went out of town and we just did a, uh, we did a planning retreat for 2021. Glory, hallelujah. And I'm happy to announce to you that we have more work to do now than we did when we first went into the retreat, which I think is, uh, by definition, means that it was a good retreat. Uh, a good working retreat because now we have things to do. But I also want to just tell you uh, that we are moving forward. We are not going backwards. And the Lord is leading us. He's going before us. Amen? Amen. So my question to you is, are you with us? Are you with us? Are you with us? All right. Praise God. While we were out of town, you know, there were lots of birds. We were in Deborah's 8 and... And I was just admiring, and a bird actually came and uh, started talking to me and uh, started telling me a story, a true story, actually, of a vulture and a hummingbird. And the vulture and hummingbird, they were talking and discussing, and like, where do we go next? It's a new season. And, and they both decided that they were going to cross the vast, great desert that was right next to them. And so uh, they, they didn't know what they were going to do. They didn't know what, how, what to expect in the desert or how they were going to get through, but they decided to launch anyway. And so the vulture, with his great big wingspan and his funny-looking head, he, he launched out of his perch, and he just started going across the desert. One hour, two hours, many hours, and he's just going. He's determined to get across but he's losing energy. And, and just when he thinks, oh, man, I'm not going to make it. I don't have enough to sustain me. He, he looks down into the, to, to the arid ground and he sees, oh, a rotting dead carcass of some animal that had died a week, two weeks before. And he's like, ooh, food. And he dove down. And you can imagine all the flies, the smell. And he didn't have any problem. He just plugged his nose and ate his lunch. And then the hummingbird launched off of his perch. Right? And he's going across the desert hour after hour, maybe day after day. And he's thinking, I can make it. I can make it. But he's starting to lose energy. And he's not sure if he's going to be able to make it. And then... He looks down, and he sees a cactus with a beautiful cactus flower blossoming right there. And he thinks, oh, food! And he dives down and feasts on the nectar of that flower. What's my point? My point is that both birds found what they were looking for. Both were in the same desert, the same arid ground at the same time, and found two completely different things. If you are looking for a rotting dead carcass, you're going to find it. But if you're looking for a flower, do you get what I'm saying? And in the same way, in this life, if you will find what you're looking for. And so my question to us today is do we know what we're looking for? We cannot set that to chance. We actually have to make a decision and decide what am I looking for to sustain me? What am I looking for to be my food in this desert, in this season, in this time? Philippians 4 verse 8 says this, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, think about such things. Church, do we not have a lot to give thanks for? Do we not have a lot to exalt and praise God for? He is good. He is worthy. He is faithful. He is compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love to the thousandth generation. Church, can we just exalt him right now in the midst of this season, in the midst of whatever desert, arid ground you're finding? We exalt you and we look to the virtuous things of this world. We look to the virtuous, praiseworthy things and we celebrate those things. Amen?
You know, the world does not need us to be good at finding the bad things, to finding the dead, rotting carcass. It doesn't need us to be good at that. They're already good at that. What the world needs us to be good at is being really good at celebrating the light. Really good at it. When I walk in this room, when I see you, when I worship with you, guys, I'm filled with hope. I'm filled with hope. There are dead, rotting carcasses out there. There are. I'm not denying that fact. There are fires, there's wars and rumors of wars, but I see a blossoming future ahead. There is a flower in the desert in which we can feast on, and we just have to decide what are we going to feast on. We have to ask ourselves, what kind of bird are we going to be in this season as we fly across this terrain? Are you a vulture or are you a hummingbird? You got to decide. And what you decide, how you answer that question is going to determine how you function in this season. From here, a light will shine that the whole world would know that there is a God who is mighty, who is awesome, who is powerful. And it is this place that that name will be exalted and that the rest of the world will know. So we have a decision to make. And I, by God's goodness, his kingdom is advancing. In fact, we just finished celebrating Christmas, right? And the most celebrated Christmas verse in the Old Testament is Isaiah 9. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, right? And in, in verse, uh, verse 9, uh, or verse 7, I think it is, it says that the government and his peace, there will be no end, There is an increase of his government and peace, and there will be no end of it, right? So by faith, we declare this, and by faith, we function in it. So today, I cast off my inner vulture in Jesus' name. We cast it off, and let's be hummingbirds today. This is a reminder for us to function like this day in and day out, because we do not suffer or mourn without hope. We, we function with this hope because it's substantial, it's real. And those of you who are wondering, uh, I, I feel just even, even today, I, I, those are, there, there are people who are wondering, should I plant here or should I go and, and dig my rose and plant somewhere else? Should I root or should I go find somewhere else, some greener pasture? And to those, if you are willing to hear it, I feel the Lord is saying Isaiah 54 to expand your tent to the right and to, and to the left and stake down your stakes, to, to drill them down, to expand and to strengthen your stakes so that you can weather what is ahead, so that you can prepare, and so that you can hold and be ready for what God wants to do in the future right here. So if you have the ears to hear it, hear it and act accordingly in Jesus' name. We can do that because we're hummingbirds. We're not vultures. Amen? So I have this uh, word, I believe, is for today. Uh, And it it, it actually is coming out of the holidays. I'm wondering, actually, how many of you spent the holiday with family? Can you raise your hand to show me? How many of you spent with family? Yeah, this is like 99% of us. It's good to be with family, isn't it? Holidays have this way of bringing out the worst and the best in us and in our families, too, you know? Where either you're celebrating family, it's like, oh, God, thank you so much for my family. Or maybe you're on this side, and it's like, you have a different kind of conversation with God. It's like, God, why'd you give me these guys again? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of which camp you're in, because you might be sitting next to your family right now. But I'm only half joking. But this is the topic that I want to bring to us today. The topic of family. Family is the most powerful earthly commodity that we are given. It's blood. It's very powerful. It's from inception it starts. And it doesn't ever go away until we die. So in the context of family... I want us to understand something, and we're going to look at the words of Jesus here, but before we look at his words, I also want us to understand 
something about Jesus and his family. Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Lamb who was slain, who took away the sins of the world. Many of us had better families than he did. Did you know that? In John chapter 7, you can look it up yourself. It says that his own brothers who grew up with him did not believe in him. While he was preaching and teaching and healing people and showing miraculous signs and wonders, they were standing by watching and saying, who is he that he says and does all these things? His own family did not acknowledge and see who he was. His own blood rejected him. Now, I don't say that to get us down and to dog down on Jesus' family. But what I say that for is because Jesus knows the pain of family rejection. You know, sometimes when uh, the holidays can stir up good things and the holidays can stir up some of these long-standing disappointments and rejections that we have felt over the years from family. Jesus knows that feeling. He knows the feeling of being misunderstood by the people who are supposed to be closest to him. Isn't it interesting that his own brothers didn't recognize him? Isn't it interesting the proximity that what familiarity can do to our own perspective? Have you noticed that? Sometimes, dare I say, the closer we are to someone, sometimes it might be the the less we understand of who they are because we get so familiar with who they are. Jesus knows the pain of family wounds. And I say this because Jesus went through it, and if he went through it, then he can bring us out of it. Amen? Adam and Eve were the first family. And sin came into the world through a family. Did you know that? God created Adam and Eve, And literally, God was their father. He created them. And he said, one command, eat of any tree except the tree of knowledge and good and evil. Right? But they rebelled and rejected him as father to live on their own, to make their own decisions. And from that point on was a brokenness in the family connection. And brokenness in family has been our inheritance ever since, from generation to generation to generation. Not one of us has been spared from some sort of rift, from some sort of brokenness inside of our our earthly family. You know those feelings. In fact, there are probably thoughts that are going through your mind right now. Now, if I were God, and I'm not, praise God, (laughs) Seeing one of my first creations, the first family that I created already has broken the family up and ruined the whole thing. I would have been, ah, I would have thrown in the towel and said, that's it. No more families, only individuals from here on out. But thank God, I'm not God. (laughs) And you know, God is very different than maybe the way that we would approach mistakes. He not only doesn't throw in the towel with family, he uses the very broken places of our lives to heal and redeem the things around us. When I look at this and, and just think about that very thought of using the broken things in us to heal things around us, I'm reminded of when I was 17, I was working in a warehouse, and my responsibility was to... Uh, load and unload all of the delivery trucks, these big, massive trucks with a, with a forklift. And I was doing my job. And uh, then I would park the trucks in this tiny little parking lot. It was uh, kind of very tight. And so I was taking this big truck around and I was cutting it maybe a little bit too close to the truck next to me, you know? And as I was pulling into the parking spot, I, what I didn't know and what I didn't notice is that the back door of the tr- delivery truck was wide open. 
And so I was pulling in, and and then all of a sudden I hear this, and I look in the rear or in the in the side mirror, and I see that I just ripped the door completely off of the other truck. And I'm and I'm and, and then both trucks are now stuck. And unbeknownst to me, my boss, who also happened to be the owner of the company, saw the entire thing. And so I'm like, oh, oh, I gotta get away. I gotta get out of here. In fact, I was like, God, just make them fire me. Just so I can get out of this situation. I just wanted to run and crawl into the fetal position and suck my thumb, you know? I don't do that anymore, mostly. But you know, the owner of the company, he understood something that I didn't understand. He understood that if I actually made the mess, if I got everybody into the mess, then I need to be part of the solution to get us out of the mess. And so he said, Jesse, get back in that truck. And he made me crawl back in. And together, he and I worked to get the trucks unstuck. We repainted, fixed the doors, and the rest is history. And he would not fire me. Hallelujah. What's my point? Jesus operates a lot like that. Even Paul and Silas, when they were beaten in prison in Acts chapter 17, it was most likely the very jailer that was watching over them who did the beating. But when the earthquake hit and the chains fell off and the doors were wide open, guess what happened? It was Paul and Silas who then ministered to their very, the person who, very, who actually beat them. And it was him, the jailer, who actually mended their wounds. God is in the business of using the person who made the mess to also redeem the mess. Amen. Amen. And it's us. It, this is where our perspective has to shift. Not only for our own messes in seeing that when we partner with God, we can actually have a solution. But also in the messes where other people create messes around us. That actually it is through them that there can be redemption. So, family brought sin into the world. Family is the origin of, uh, of brokenness, okay? But Jesus doesn't cast out family. In fact, he actually capitalizes on it. In kingdom thinking, in kingdom way, if it was family that broke the world, then it is family that will redeem it. Understand that you have a place to play, a role to play in the family. Every single one of us have come from some family or another. You aren't just an individual. You are a son. You are a daughter. You are a father, a mother, an uncle. You have a part to play in your family. But not just that. It goes beyond, and we'll get to that. So Jesus came to this world not as an individual. He came as a son. He came as part of a family, the representative of the one family that was unbroken. He came from the heavenly family to revolutionize, to reestablish what the first family broke. So we're talking about family, and we're going to talk about Jesus and family. Now, Jesus said some pretty radical things about family. Are you ready to hear what he had to say? Okay. You know, the more something is broken, the more radical a solution must be. And that's exactly the approach that Jesus took when it comes to family and healing the family. So are you ready? Matthew chapter 12. Let's go there. Matthew chapter 12, verse 46 through 50. While Jesus was still teaching to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. Verse 48, he replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus, may we have ears to hear what you're saying. May we have eyes to see, and may we have hearts to receive this word today, your words today. 
Lord, I pray that we would, we would really get what it means to be part of your family. In Jesus' name, amen. Whatever Jesus says has to become our foundation. We can't, we can't take what this person says or this person says. It's Jesus that lays. He is the perfect theology. He's the foundation because he is the perfect representative of the Father, right? And so when we become Christians, based on what Jesus is saying, our family changes. The rules literally are transformed and changed. So whatever rules you were holding before, you've got to check them at the door when you walk into the kingdom. What do you mean, Jesse? That's radical. Well, radical brokenness means radical solutions. What is Jesus talking about? Is Jesus giving me permission to dishonor my family? Is Jesus empowering? This is more of a scary thing. Is Jesus empowering my kids to disrespect me? Doesn't it sound kind of disrespectful what Jesus is saying? He's using his own earthly family to illustrate something greater. And I'd submit to you this, that this is not a permission to dishonor, but rather Jesus is redefining what makes family, family. He's not downgrading his loyalty to his earthly family, to his mother and brothers, but upgrading his loyalty to someone else. His loyalty to his heavenly father. Now, how does he show this loyalty? It's simple. It's by doing the will of the Father. Doing the will of the Father. Isn't it interesting that just in this passage in, in chapter 12, that the disciples' status was elevated from average follower to family by doing one thing, doing the will of the Father. So who is my brother and sister in Christ, congregation? Those who do the will of the Father. When? Eh, Sundays between uh, 10.30 and uh, 12. 25, depending on when we get out. No. Tuesdays? Wednesdays? No, every day, all day. Hour by hour, minute by minute. There is, we were, Abba and I, we were just talking, there is one call. And it's to do the will of the Father. You know, Jesus, had, uh, this scene right here, there, there was his, Jesus' earthly family right here. There were his disciples over here. And there was a massive crowd. Everybody is hearing the same thing. Everybody is in the same moment. But Jesus points to his disciples. Why? Because they have shown some level of commitment. Because they have, they have skin in the game. The crowd wasn't called brothers and sisters. The crowd was not elevated to the family level. It was the disciples who were. Which means that we can be hearers of what God is saying, but not doers of it. It means that we can hear all the time, but if we're not following it, that we're not family. It must be daily, hourly, minute by minute followers of Jesus. Because when we follow him like that, when we commit like the disciples committed, then we become family with Jesus and we become family with one another. When we get this relationship and we elevate our loyalty, number one priority here, then it changes our relationship with him, but it also changes our relationship here. Church, we are not family because we go to the same church. We're not family because we look the same, we sound the same, we speak the same language, we have the same hairdo, although that would help. Or we have the same political views. No, we are family because we said yes to Jesus, and that's it. There's nothing else. Because we have acknowledged our Heavenly Father, proclaimed our loyalty to Him. We have elevated His status above all, all other statuses. Here's the thing is, when we elevate, when, or I'm sorry, when our loyalty goes first and foremost to our Heavenly Father, we inherit His righteousness, and the sin we inherited from Adam and Eve is broken off. But there must be inside of us an acknowledgement of who Jesus is and a determined decision, determined 
to follow him. You know, one of my joys being here at Beza is that I'm part of the discipleship team that gets to uh, receive new believers, receive people who want to dive deeper in with Jesus and walk with them through that journey of, of faith. It's one of my favorite things in the world. Uh, a couple years ago, there was a woman who right here gave her life to Jesus. And we began walking with her through this journey of faith. And she came uh, from a country where it's illegal, bam, illegal to be a Christian. Intense persecution. And so, but here in Addis, what I love about this, and here, here in Addis is that her faith began to flourish. It began to grow. It could, it could bear fruit and strengthen and remain and dig deep. But in the back of my mind, I was just wondering, what's, what's going to happen when she goes back? What's going to happen when she faces her family for the first time? When she really opens up? And there came a time in, in the discipleship process when she herself had the conviction, Jesse, I got to go back. I got to tell my family. I can't hide anymore. They have to know that I am I am following Jesus. And I said, are you sure you're ready? You know, sometimes what we're delivered from can also be one of the greatest tests and one of the big, biggest lines of which we have to overcome. And so you know what happened? She went back to her hometown to tell her family that she believes in Jesus. And so she sat down with her family and she just, she just laid it all out there. And you can imagine, you can imagine the threats. You can imagine that conversation. You can imagine the intimidation, the misunderstanding, what, what happened in that space. But you know what? I'm so proud of her. Because in that moment, through that entire time, she still honored her family and she still honored Jesus. She still even supports her family financially and she's still singing the song. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. And still she's singing that song. And still it's true. When she came back, she made a very powerful declaration, I think you can call it. She said, Jesse... I understand now, my home care is my family. You see, when she said yes to Jesus, she didn't just get Jesus. She got a completely new, redeemed family in God. Yeah, you can clap to that. And here's the thing, is that God will use His family to redeem her earthly family. In fact, I can tell you right now that God is already playing chess. He's already devising ways. The seeds have already been planted in her family, and they will come to know Jesus. It's already happening. It's already in, in the process. You see, when she said yes to Jesus, it automatically planted seeds in her, her, earthly, families, uh, her earthly family's hearts. Are you determined to follow him like that? Are you determined to sing that song against all odds? The only thing that keeps us family, Beza, is the fact that we say yes to Jesus like that. So turn to your neighbor and say, hello, family. When we... When we put our loyalties here first, it radically changes everything else. Now, because we are family, see, the rules change. We love and care for those who are not our blood as though they are. Radically so. 
Because there is a higher blood that's running through our veins, the blood of Jesus. And so church, when you care for somebody who's not your tribe, who doesn't speak your language, who doesn't think like you, you are displaying the redemption for all to see. In fact, this is one of the most powerful things that's on display for the, ch- for the world to see inside the church. When we do this, we are radically proclaiming that there's a different way. In fact, the whole, the whole world is trying to figure out how do we live together? How do we figure this thing out? The only way is when we become the family of God. That's the only way. That's the only solution. And I would, I would submit to you that the reason why we're only seeing halfway results is because it's a little bit radical for everybody. Because the brokenness is radical, the solution must be two. Um, you know, when, when God spoke to my wife and I to move across the world to come be here with you, of which I am so glad, okay? When he spoke, it was, it was a powerful moment, and it was a moment in which we were compelled to obey because that's what we do as believers. We obey the will of the Father, But you know, the moment that my wife and I obeyed that call, we came here to serve and and respond. But the moment we said yes, then that meant that we no longer could support and care for our earthly families. And so... It was, it was a, I remember when I sat down with my parents and I told them, guys, we've got to go. We've got to go. It was a, it was a difficult moment in which we really had to tie to our heavenly father. And so now we're here with you and we have a new family and it's a deeper family. Not because I disregard my family in America, but because we have a thicker blood, a better blood. And what's so amazing, what's so amazing about this is uh, it was painful to leave them. But just as he's covered for us here, and we're here with you in Africa, God miraculously, believe it or not, has raised Africans, a community of Africans to take care of my family back in America. Did you know that? Why? Because they are part of the family of God. And they saw the blood of Jesus coursing through my family's veins. And they said, ah, family. And so though the last five years, the last five years that we've been living here have been the hardest for my family, I can release them to the Lord because I know that the family of God is covering them. Family is redefined. Was it not Jesus who said, if you don't hate your father and mother, you have no place in my kingdom? It's not that we are to hate. It's that our deep, deep love for our earthly families must look like hate in comparison to our love for our heavenly father. The solution's radical. So we as believers are actually embraced by the family of God. But then that kind of begs the question, what about my earthly family if they don't know Jesus? Because not everybody, not every family is saved. Not every family knows and follows Jesus. And sometimes our families are the source of some of our greatest wounds and hurts. So what do we do with that? The way we save our earthly families is by personally recognizing your heavenly one. The way you save your earthly family is by personally recognizing your heavenly one. Regardless of language, regardless of tribe, regardless of political stance, regardless of fill in the blank. The way to restore your natural family is by declaring loyalty and obedience to your heavenly father. 
Do you love your earthly family? God's on assignment for your earthly family today. But it actually might not be through the vehicle that you think. You might think that, oh, I've got I've to take care of my family. I've got to reach out to them. I've got I've to make sure that they know Jesus. And those are good thoughts to have, but uh, I've got news for you that you're not Jesus. He's Jesus, and he's the one who saves. What's our responsibility? Is to do the will of the Father. Our first and foremost responsibility to our earthly family is to do the will of the Father. And if that means moving across the world, then that means moving across the world. If that means serving someone else, then that means serving someone else. Family is redefined. God has designed his spiritual family to embrace your earthly one. In the very DNA of our family, spiritual family, it is customized to enwrap and engulf your, your earthly one. The greatest example is this. Like I said, I, I said it from John chapter 7. Jesus' brothers didn't even believe in him while he was alive. They were telling him what to do. They were saying, you know, how, how can you say and do all these things? Yet Jesus was obedient to his heavenly father even when there was opposition, even when the people didn't believe in him. And because he was obedient, even death on the cross, it was his heavenly family that ultimately restored his earthly one. Do you remember when he was hanging on that cross? Just about to die. Bearing all the sin of the world. And he looked down at his mother. And he looked at one of his disciples. He said, John, see your mother. Mother, see your son. And it was right there that he committed his earthly family to his spiritual one. They were not blood. But it was through his blood that they could do that. Then we hop over a couple of books into Acts chapter 1. And you know what we see? It's really cool. The disciples, they're scared for their lives. They're hanging out in this upper room. And they're just, Jesus said, wait, wait. And they're waiting for, they don't even know what they're waiting for, but they're waiting for the spirit of Jesus to come and pour out upon them. And you know who was there? His mother and his brothers. They didn't believe in him when he was dead or when he was alive. But when he committed them to the family of God, they were redeemed. It was later his brother James and Simeon who led the church in Jerusalem and later gave up their lives for the cause of Christ. It was the family of God that brought them into salvation, that redeemed their lives. If that is true of Jesus' family, it can be true of yours. We are not the saviors of our family, but God is, and he uses his spiritual family the one with the better blood to redeem ours. There was a woman in our church. Well, I mean, she's still in our church. But um, we were praying for two and a half years for her father to accept Jesus. And his health was deteriorating. His lungs were going into failure. Other organs were going into failure. And we were just praying and praying that he would accept Jesus and, and give his life to the Lord and, but every time that she approached her father to talk about Jesus, he just, he just really cut her down and really blocked it and said, absolutely not. And so she was quite discouraged, but we just kept on praying, kept on believing. And, you know, then one day, some unbeknownst to her, some man just kind of slipped in their home, sat by his bed, and just started striking up a conversation and talking with him and began to share the love of Jesus. I don't know, but it could have been the exact same thing that she had said. But it was from this man that her father accepted Jesus. And to this day, he's a believer. Amen?
What's my point? The family of God is the, are the ones who led him to the Lord. You might have a broken family, but God wants to redeem it. And it is family, it, though it was family that brought sin into the world, that brought brokenness into the world, it is family that will redeem it. And so we have to actually lean into the family of God and function properly in the family of God in order to see salvation come into our earthly families. This is very important for us to understand and operate in. And as I look, as I look into the landscape of what's happening globally, this global climate, what I see is the spirit in the air that's attacking family, causing, causing division in society. Because society is built up of families. The government is seeing it. The church is seeing it. We're all realizing it. And so I speak to you, Beza, in this regard. You can point the way forward. You can show the way to racial reconciliation. And it's simple. Do the will of the Father. And then all of a sudden, our relationships change because we become family somehow. We're elevated from just liking Jesus, following Jesus, to becoming family with Jesus. And that's how we overcome. That's how we lead by example. Jesus' blood trumps all. Jesus redefined family, and it's really important for us to grasp and operate according to it. For our blood's sake, for our family's sake, for our tribe's sake, because it's through the family of God that they will encounter salvation. So how's, how's your obedience? What has God been speaking to you? What do you need to do to take that next step of obedience? That's not a question that I can answer. And then my other question for us is, just as the Africans in my hometown recognized the blood of Jesus in my family and rose up and took care of them while I'm over here, who can you see the blood of Jesus in? Who is God speaking to you about? It's like, hey, they're family. They might not be your blood, but they're family. They not, might not be your tribe, but they're family. How can we respond to that? So I feel like we need to respond in a couple of ways. One, if you've never made a decision to be with Jesus, to follow him, to give your life to him, it's the best decision you can possibly make. It's more important than who you marry, what job you have, where you live to forsake all other things, all other lifestyles except the lifestyle of Jesus is the most, uh, it's the decision that matters. And just as you get Jesus in that equation, you don't just get Jesus in the equation, you get a family behind it. A family of love, a family of compassion, a family of redemption, a family of open arms waiting to welcome you in. And so, if that's you, I, I'm compelled to just invite you to make that decision. And for those who are not, or who, who are already, have already said yes to Jesus, but your family needs redemption, I want to speak to you now too. Jesus is in the business of redemption. And he's going to use the family of God to do it. It's through family that it was broken, and it's through family that it's going to be redeemed and righted. And so I, I want to tell you one last story that's uh, close to my family's heart uh, as an illustration. You know, when we came here, we're serving here. We're leading uh, Ethiopians and Africans to the Lord and walking with them through this process of faith. And as my wife and I, we've been doing this, my wife was kind of just, her heart was aching for her family. And they don't know Jesus. 
and they're back in America. And so it, her heart was aching for it, and she's like, God, here we are obeying the will of the Father, but it's like we've forsaken them. We're doing for these people what we should be doing for our blood family. And God said, ah, 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 ah. He just whispered something to her and says, I've got them. I've got them. And it wasn't long after that conversation between my wife and God that her brother made his way into a church, got connected with people, got baptized, and gave his life to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? And you know what's even crazier? He did it all without us. We weren't even involved. In fact, every time I try and talk with him about Jesus, it like goes nowhere. But when we step away to obey, God takes care of this over here. How radical are you about your obedience? If you care about your blood family, I think you'll care about obedience too. So could you stand with me right now? As we respond to this word, I, I'm sure even names, faces are flashing through your mind of the redemption that needs to happen in your earthly family. That uncle, that brother, that sister, that son. And you know, the best thing that we can possibly do is to release them to the Lord as we obey Christ. And so just as a... As a physical representation, would you just take those people that are flashing through your mind right now, and would you take them into your hands and just present them to the Lord? God will use His family to redeem your family. And right now we are going to dedicate them. We're going to speak over them. And God is going to do something miraculous in our lives, in our family's life. So would you agree with me? In Jesus' name, we present our brothers and sisters to you, God. We present our earthly families to you, not as one with loyalties just to them, but first and foremost, loyalties to our Heavenly Father. And it is in that position that we bring them to you, trusting, trusting that when they are in your hands, they are in the only good hands. Trusting, oh God, that you will move and work and, and bring people, the family of God, surrounding them so that they would have a taste of what your kingdom is like. They would have a taste of who you truly are. And so God, we speak over these people that we present to you. We commit them to you. We release them to you. And we dedicate their lives, our earthly families, into your hands now. We speak wholeness out of the brokenness. We speak salvation and hope out of, out of depravity in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, for as we commit ourselves to you in obedience, by faith, we believe that you will take care of our families over here. By faith, we believe more in the family of God than we do in our blood family because you radically transformed it. You radically define, redefined it. And so, Lord, would you give us courage? Would you give us the gumption, the, the strength to walk forward in the new understanding of what family means? Kingdom family in Jesus' name. Would you open our eyes to see your blood coursing in the veins of those around us who might not be like us? In Jesus' name we pray. Hey, this is just a reminder. Have you subscribed to our Telegram channel? Not only will you find important announcements, but also access to our daily devotionals, family devotionals, and much, much more. We also want to take this moment to thank you for your generosity and faithfulness throughout the years. 
Not only is your giving a fragrant and acceptable offering before God, but Paul in 2 Corinthians 9.12 describes it as an expression of ministry. And it is that very ministry that allows us to continue to put our hands to the plow together in the work of reaching people with the message of God's grace and love. You can give through four different avenues. You can stop by your nearest commercial bank or Braham Bank and deposit your offering into the account number on the screen. You can also take advantage of either bank's mobile banking apps. For those of you who have international major credit cards or debit cards, you can give online on our website, bezachurch.org. And you can always stop by our accounting office on the TK Building 5th floor, and they will be happy to serve you there. In this extraordinary and unusual season, we appreciate you going out of your way to give. Thank you. God bless you. Bemecharasham, and neger lastawsachu. Yebeza Telegram channel and join yadurgu. በቴሌግራም የቤተክርስቲያን ማስተዋቂያ ብቻ ሳይሆን የለታዊ የእግዚአብሔር ቃል ጥናት የቤተሰብ ጥናት እና ሌሎች አጫጭር ነገሮችን ያገኛሉ። በዚህ መንፈሳዊነቱን በመመገብ ይትኩ። በመጨረሻ ለእግዚአብሔር በታማኝነት እንደቃሉ አስራትና መባቹን የፍቅር ስጦታችን ስለምትሰጡ እግዚአብሔር ይባርካችሁ። ለእግዚአብሔር የምትሰጡት ስጦታችሁ በእግዚአብሔር ዘንድ እንደ መልካም ማዕዛ እንደሆነ ቃሉ ያስተምረናል። ይብቻ ሳይሆን ሁለተኛ ቆሮንጦስ ምዕራፍ 9 ቁጥር 12 ላይ እንደሚያስተምረን ለእግዚአብሔር የምናቀርበው አገልግሎታችንም ጭምር ነው ይሄው አገልግሎታችሁ በእግዚአብሔር ያገልግሉት እርሻ ላይ አብልጠን እንድንዘረጋ ሰዎችንም በእግዚአብሔር የጸጋ ቃል እንድንدرس የሚያደርገን አብረን የምንጠመድበት ያገልግሉት እድል ነው ስትሰጡ በአራት መንገድ መስጠት ይችላልላችሁ አንደኛ በቅርባችሁ ወደሚገኝ የኢትዮጵያ ንግድ ባንክ ወይም ብርሃን ባንክ በመሄድ ሁለተኛ በተለይም በዚህ እንግዳ ጊዜ በስልካችሁ በሚገኝ ሞባይል ባንኪንግ አፕ እንድትጠቀሙ አብልጠንን መከራለን ከኢትዮጵያ ውጪ ላላችሁ ወገኖቻችን ደግሞ በሜጀር ክሬዲት ካርድ ወይም ዴቢት ካርድ በመጠቀም bezachurch.org ድረገጽ ላይ በመሄድ መስጠት ይችላልላችሁ በመጨረሻም በቲኬ ኢንተርናሽናል ህንፃ አምስተኛ ፎቅ ላይ በሚገኘው የቤዛ ሂሳብ ክፍል በመሄድ ለተሰጡት ይችላልላችሁ በዚህ ባልተለመደ እንግዳ በሚመስል ጊዜ ሁሉን አልፋችሁ ለእግዚአብሔር ሥራ ከሌላው ጊዜ አብልጣችሁ ስለተዘረጋችሁ እግዚአብሔር ይባርካችሁ እንወዳችኋለን እግዚአብሔር ይጠብቃችሁ ፍቱንም ያብራላችሁ